Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. For He is a rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. For He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. You know, the other day I happened to see these these glasses. Now, glasses are kind of interesting to me because, you know, I mean, I wear some of my own, and it's it's quite a bit of a process for you to have to to go to the eye doctor and and have to you know go through that whole thing, which is clear, you know, one or two, and and all these things. If you've ever been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, these glasses that I saw were kind of this neat thing that had all these little dials and stuff that you could kind of adjust it yourself and get 20-20 out of it, so it claimed. I don't know how well those actually work, but, you know, it, it's so fascinating to me, and as I looked at that, it kind of looked like it had like a lens on top of a lens, and it would kind of look a little weird, but, you know, we go to great lengths to try to adjust our sights, and I get it, because without my glasses, I can't see all that well. However... When was the last time that you thought about your heavenly sight? You know, and what I mean by that is that is there any type of a way to check our spiritual sight? You know, we go to an eye doctor, we're kind of used to that, and now they've come up with things, and I don't know it, how, how good they are about all those little dials and, and stuff. But we've, we've got these different ways about thinking on, on our earthly sight. But what about our heavenly sight? Well, I think there are some things in scriptures that we can look at that gives us a little bit of an indication as to how we're doing. Let's take a look at a few of those together. I want us to look at uh, and start with Psalm 33. Now, whenever we look at Psalm 33, you're probably familiar with verse 12, especially the first part of verse 12. We don't even usually let, uh, look at the, the last half of that, but the first half says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, the rest of that, it says, the people he chose for his inheritance. Now, you know, as you look at that, at that verse, especially the first part, you know, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Does that sound like the United States of America? You know, I'm speaking to, I'm assuming most of you all who are going to be watching this video are in the United States of America. Okay, does that sound like us? Does that sound like where we live? Well, you know, depending on who you are, it might depend on how you answer that question. But I think it's worth asking. I think it's worth thinking about. And, and you know, as we look at that, of course, the, the second half, um, we do see, okay, well, he's talking about his, his inheritance and stuff like that. So, I mean, he is talking about Israel there. But, you know, I actually believe because of verse 13 that this passage is not talking about Israel alone. Now, see, God has always had bigger sight than just Israel. Now, a lot of times, that's as far as what we focus on in the Bible, especially in the, the Old Testament. But you know, God was always looking after others, wasn't he? 
I mean, look at how this psalm continues on. Yes, we'll start in verse 12, but let's go down to verse 22. So Psalm 33, beginning in verse 12, going down to verse 22. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who, whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This passage teaches us a lot about where our hope needs to be. It's not just about, you know, at this, at this very beginning, it's not just about Israel. No, look at this, the second verse here in verse 13. We see that God looks down and he sees all mankind. He pays attention. Now, how oftentimes do we actually consider what God wants? I want you to think about that. What, what does God want? You know, he's looking at all mankind. He's aware of all these things. He considers in verse 15, everything they do. Well, what does God want? Well, we get some answers to that. We see in verse 18 that the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. So he wants us to fear him, not be afraid of him, but fear him, like respect him and put our hope. Notice that. Put our hope in him, in, in him, you know, as a deliverer as the one who's going to save us. You know, he's already stating in verse 16 and, and 17 that, look, if your king trusts in the size of your army, you're going to eventually fail because there can always be a bigger army. There can always be bigger and better uh, types of, of things that are involved in war. But God's not so concerned about all of those things. He's concerned, are we willing to trust in him? Blessed, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We also see another thing right here in verse 20 that we wait and hope for the Lord. This is what God wants. This is what he's always wanted. And we've seen that time and time again. In fact, one of the first ones that we uh, encounter in the, the pages of the Bible who put his trust in God is the person of Abraham. That's why we have that little song, you know, Father Abraham had many sons. And the, the concept is, you know, I'm one of them and, you know, so are you. We can be um, like a child of Abraham, so to speak. Whenever we, as followers of Christ, put our hope in God. Uh, that's what we learn from Abraham, right? He put his faith in God. Let's look at Genesis 15 and see one of those times that he did such a thing. In Genesis 15, the first few verses, uh, listen to uh, God speaking to Abraham. Right here, he's called Abram. But Genesis 15, beginning in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. 
there's so much in this passage and so much in this passage that is brought up in the, in the New Testament and is kind of brought up and, and referenced several times uh, even today. But, you know, one of the things to keep in mind comes to us in verse 5, that the word of the Lord took Abraham, Abram, outside and said, look up at the sky, look up at the heavens, you know, where is your heavenly sight? Sometimes we focus so much on the things that we see right here in front of us. Like Abram was looking and he was like, well, look, I don't have any children. How's this going to happen? You know, apparently Eliezer, he's going to inherit all these things for me. God takes him outside and says, well, let's adjust your sight. Let's look up a little bit. And sometimes that's what we might have to do. Now, I want you to pay attention to a few things um, that happened during this process. Because I want you to pay attention to some stuff like, well, when is he telling him to look up at the sky? It's obviously not during the daytime. You don't see stars during the daytime. It's at nighttime. And, you know, depending on how you want to take this, there's a few ways of looking at it. Of course, for it to be nighttime by this time, the work is already done. Abram has already put in the work for the day. And now it's time to just kind of rest and reflect on what's going on. If you also so choose to see it, that, you know, in some ways kind of Maybe it's during the dark times in our own lives, the dark times, so to speak, in our own lives, whenever we need to adjust our vision to be able to see what God is doing and to see what, what God has been doing and what he has promised to us. So right here, that's one of the things to focus on is, you know, when was he looking at the sky? It was at the nighttime. And there's a few things that go along with that, and you can kind of work out some of those you know, on your own if you stop and think about that and, and, and the sky. I also want you to think about where he was whenever he was able to see these stars. You know, this was a time um, before all of these streetlights and stuff, you know. I mean, uh, uh, here in, in Edmonton, they replaced the, the, uh, many of the streetlights se several years back. And, you know, even before that... Um, Yes, I like being able to see with the streetlights. However, those streetlights and other lights that, that are around, they make it a lot harder to see the stars. I understand for the safety being in, in uh, among a community, but if you have the opportunity to go away from the streetlights and to be able to look up and to see all those stars, it's an amazing sight. And sometimes that's the wonderful thing for us to just be able to do that every once in a while. Uh, now, for those of you who live in a city, I I don't know what hope, unless perhaps maybe on vacation or something, uh, that you will be able to see the stars. But Abram, when he looked up, the sky would have been full of them, full of stars, and he would be able to see so many of them. Have you ever tried to count the stars? I, I do kind of wonder, did Abram kind of stop and be like, one, two, or did he just get the concept and understand you can't count the stars? There's just way too many of them. But he's told to, to count the stars. And I also want you to consider this. Who is the one that is telling Abram to do this? It's the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is powerful. The word of the Lord, it spoke all of creation into existence. And the word of the Lord is telling Abram how it's going to go. And what did Abram do? Verse 6, he believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's why in the New Testament, uh, in, in the, uh, the wonderful chapter that's full of faithful people of God, we see Abraham is mentioned there. And notice how he's stated here in Hebrews 11. So in Hebrews 11, we're going to look at verses 8 through 16, although there's plenty of other things we could look at about Abraham and his life. But I just want you to, to realize this, and we kind of are coming back to this question that we started with again. What does God want? Well, this chapter tells us he wants faith. He wants people who are faithful, who are full of faith. 
And Abraham is one of the examples here. Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his hope home in a promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past child-bearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as, as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country, um, uh, for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You look at this faith of Abraham and you see in verse 8 that it's by faith. Abraham, he obeyed. He went. Even though he didn't know the way, he didn't know where he was going. He knew who was leading him. He knew that it's the Lord, the Lord himself. And in verse 10, we also find out that he's looking forward. Uh, he was looking forward to this other type of city. This architect and, and builder of this city and this foundation is God. What about us? Do we look for this better country, this heavenly country? The mention of the sky is mentioned again here in verse 12 and the, the heavens and, you know, our heavenly sight. Once again, looking up and just recognizing what God has done for us. We see these men and women of faith that are mentioned in this chapter. They, all of them, as verse 13 says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. But yet they didn't receive all of these promises, not in their lifetime. And many times we aren't going to receive the promises of God in our own lifetime. That doesn't change the fact that we can still be people who are full of faith. And we see with people like Abraham, they're looking for this heavenly country, this heavenly one. And because of that, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So what does God want? What does God want? He wants faithful people. And we see lists of people that, that we, can, we can learn from and see their faith and learn from their faith. And you know what? We can be examples like that to the next generation, the people around us. Whenever we are people who put our faith, our trust in God, blessed is the nation, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I want to look at one final passage with you. One that comes to us from Luke chapter 12. Now, if you were with us um, in, our, in our services uh, last week, we started looking at this passage, and I even kind of read some of these, uh, these passages um, then as well, but it's still been on my mind, and I've still been thinking about this and, and how Luke records this in, in Luke 12. So let's turn there together and take a look at, at what Jesus says here. So in Luke chapter 12, keeping in mind, what does God want? Well, Jesus tells us a few things right here. Luke 12, 32 through 40. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. This is Jesus speaking, remember? Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that do not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief breaks, 
where comes near, and no moth destroys. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those uh, servants whose master finds them watching when he, when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and we'll come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. So Jesus is telling us here a few things. He's telling us about what God wants, but he's also telling us even kind of beyond that. He's telling us to be ready, of course, and that's one of the things God wants. But let's let's work our way through this text and let's see some of these things that God wants. So what does God want? It says in verse 32 that, that your father was pleased to give you the kingdom. I, I love that way that, you know, many times we think about the, the kingdom of, of heaven or the kingdom of God, you know, in, in, in different ways and stuff. But right here we see that, Look, our Heavenly Father is pleased to give us the kingdom. He wants us to be a part of the kingdom. He wants us to have this kingdom. And this is what God wants from us. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like people who put their treasure in the right places. Verse 33 reminds us that wherever our treasure is, there our heart is going to be also. He wants us to be people of faith, who put our faith not in physical treasures, but in heavenly treasures, so to speak. Then he gives this short little parable about this master who is returning from a wedding banquet and ends up serving his servants. It's an odd concept, and it would have been very odd during the time in which Jesus was speaking this, especially in verse 37. It says it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. And what is he going to do? He's going to dress himself to serve, and he's going to let them recline at the table, and he's going to wait on them. That's upside down. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of heaven. We see that what God wants, what our Heavenly Father wants, is He wants us to have faith. He's pleased to give us the kingdom. He wants us to have faith. We also see that He wants to provide for us. Here in this parable, He's called about serving us. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to, to try to be Christian so that God will serve us and give us all these things. No, no, no. That, that's a backwards way of looking at it to begin with. But we need to recognize that God wants to give us these great things. He wants to fulfill his promises. He is pleased to give the kingdom and for us to be a part of the kingdom. He is pleased and he wants to provide for us. Sometimes all we need to do is just let him. Let him provide for us. And we're told finally in verse 40 this statement. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Another thing that our Heavenly Father wants us to do is to be ready. Are you ready for the Son of Man to return? We know that he's going to. We have a promise that he's going to. What's that day going to be like for you? Well, it matters a, a, a whole lot right here, right now. Are we preparing for that time? Are we making ourselves ready for that day? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we see what that type of, of heavenly sight looks like. 
We don't always need to be concerned with the things right here and right now here on earth. Sometimes we just need to look up to the sky and see that those promises that God gave to Abraham with the stars and, and comparing the stars, guess what? We are still seeing the fulfillment of those even during our days. And we also, if we kind of keep our head up, so to speak, and look to the heavens, we will be ready for that time whenever the Son of Man returns, whenever Jesus Christ returns. We must be ready for that day. And we must prepare for that day and be ready right now. Ready, Lord, ready, Lord, I want to be ready, Lord, ready, Lord, I want to be ready, Lord, ready, Lord, I want to be ready for the judgment day. When the bridegroom comes, will I be there to meet him in the air? And will my lamp be burning bright? Will my Lord find me prepared? Yes, I'll be ready, Lord, ready, Lord. I want to be ready, Lord, ready, Lord. I want to be ready, Lord, ready, Lord. I want to be ready for the judgment day. If the Master comes today, will I be in or cast away? And will he find me faithful there? Will my Lord find me prepared? Yes, I'll be ready, Lord, ready, Lord. I want to be ready, Lord, ready, Lord. I want to be ready, Lord, ready, Lord. I want to be ready for the judgment day. If the Lord should choose to lay, will I be true until that day? And will my oil be plenty then? Will my Lord find me prepared? Yes, I'll be ready, Lord, ready, Lord. I want to be ready, Lord, ready, Lord. I want to be ready, Lord, ready, Lord. I want to be ready for the judgment day.